Hello to one talk, here come the Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Nikoroi Hawkins. Coming up... Getting an anti-corruption commission established is vital to our fight against corruption. 16 years after it was first approved, Tonga establishes a independent commission against corruption. Also... Improve the health and livelihood of the people of Kiribati. Kiribati signs a health MOU with Victoria University of Wellington and... This will mean the world to the Māori community. This is a big deal. This is an honour to host at home. NRL All-Stars to light up Rotorua. Sixteen years since it was first approved, Tonga's parliament has finally passed legislation that will enable the establishment of an independent commission against corruption in the kingdom. The Anti-Corruption Commission Act was approved by Parliament in 2007, but never enacted until Thursday last week. I spoke with our Tongan correspondent, Kalafi Moala, about the significance of the occasion. It's to do with the passing or the approval in Parliament, in Tongan's Parliament, of the Anti-Corruption Amendment Act. Back in 2007, uh, the Anti-Corruption Act was approved by Parliament but nothing was done about it. And so it has taken uh, five governments and 16 years, all the way to last week, when for the first time it came up in Parliament, and they felt that they needed to amend a couple of the clauses uh, before they approve it uh, and then ready to set up. This is a major step for us, Koroi, because uh, uh, there has been uh, voices going on in Tonga about how uh, getting an anti-corruption commission established is very vital to our fight against corruption in this country. And uh, finally, we've got it. Uh, Of course, it's approved. uh, There are a lot of uh, mechanics and technical things that need to be done. Uh, But at least we, we are heading in the right direction. They've proven to be a bit of a two-edged sword, these ICACs in the region. I mean, there have been uh, some that have, have been toothless, not actually being effective. And there have been some like um, in the case of, of Fiji, where they've actually been used as tools of persecution. So uh, have you have you had a look at some of the details and, and what the Tongan Independent Commission Against Corruption will entail? Yes. Uh, the, the two amendments are very interesting. Uh, the, the, the first amendment... In the act itself that was approved in 2007, uh, the uh, anti-corruption commissioner is supposed to be in the level of a Supreme Court judge. Uh, Most of our Supreme Court judges, of course, come from overseas here in Tonga. Now, the amendment they made last week was that it doesn't have to be at that level as long as you have somebody that has practiced law uh, for over 15 years. And so now they have the process of people applying for it now in the process of appointment. And of course, as you well know, in Tonga and many countries in the Pacific, the the process of selection and appointment uh, into an office are usually where uh, corruption starts anyway. And so it's very, very important uh, for us here in Tonga to see uh, who is being, who is going to be appointed uh, for this office. The other thing, of course, is the funding. There's always been the excuse that we don't have the the funding for setting up an anti-corruption commission. But uh, one of the amendments is that the funding is going to come from the government, 
may not uh, depend on somebody from overseas doing the funding. Uh, so those are the two things. In terms of the the prosecution um, abilities of this body, what do you know how it meshes with the current legal justice system in Tonga? Well, uh, of course, we do have an ombudsman that exists. And one of the complaints, of course, that has been going on in the last uh, decade, what, what kind of fruit or what kind of result have our ombudsman? Uh, the ombudsman in Tonga is where you have a complaint, particularly within the government services, a complaint you take it to the ombudsman. But we have never had any issues uh, that has happened or somebody that has been prosecuted as a result of work with the ombudsman. Now, the difference with the anti-corruption is they have the power to be able to investigate and to be able to uh, prosecute. In other words, prosecution will mean they'll hand it over to the attorney general uh, for the prosecution under their recommendation. So it, at least they, they, that's where there'll be some teeth uh, in the whole process. Mm, it, it still has that, like the difficulty for being a, a, the independent part of the, the acronym uh, if it's funded by government, if the cases go back to the Attorney General for prosecution, what if it, what if the Independent Commission Against Corruption is investigating the Prime Minister, say? Uh, yeah. You know, like, where, where, how do you navigate the independence there and the conflicts? Yes. Uh, our Attorney General, of course, is not appointed by government, so uh, it's independent. The appointment of the MD Corruption Commissioner is primarily an appointment by the king, uh, but it has to be recommended by a panel, the same kind of panel that appoints the Supreme Court judges. So in that sense, there is an independence in terms of the authority to appoint. However, you, you made a very good point in terms of the funding. Uh, in other words, the budget uh, that the government comes up with every year, they have the budget for the commissioner. Uh, for the commission, you know, how uh, not only the payment of the commissioner, but I'm sure that the office and the staff and so on. But the appointment anyway is still, in a sense, independent, independent, even though the funding will come from government. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, I, um, just making a comparison with the ombudsman role that you, you mentioned in, in the Solomon Islands case, the ombudsman is seen more as a almost like a life coach for the MPs in terms of telling them how to amend their ways? Is it similar in Tonga? Yes, very similar. There has never been a case that has come up for prosecution. All the time that the ombudsman have been set up in Tonga, I've been onto them, because there has never been a case. Uh, You know, there have been complaints, they have kind of sorted it out. They are are like a counselling service. It provides, uh, uh, you know, several things peacefully without uh, anybody uh, being brought into prosecution. We hope it be very, very different with the Anti-Corruption Commission. Thank you, Kalafi. Watch this space. I look, I look forward to seeing how it goes. Thank you so much. The Kiribati government has entered into a new partnership with Victoria University of Wellington in an effort to reduce high rates of maternal and child deaths in the country. This week, the Micronesian Nations Health Ministry and the New Zealand University signed a historic MOU that will allow them to collaborate over the next five years to implement a project in midwifery and nursing practice. 
Kiribati Health Minister Sinte Isintiang believes this agreement will lead to amazing opportunities for the Kiribati people. ANZ Pacific's Kelvin Anthony attended the signing ceremony and found this report. With the chain of islands dispersed across a vast area of the Pacific Ocean and limited resources, Kiribati has some of the poorest health indicators in the region. Its health minister, Sinte Isintiang, is all too aware of the magnitude of the problems and says Kiribati cannot address its health issues on its own. The signing of this MOU between our two institutions today symbolizes a partnership, which we believe will lead to wonderful and amazing possibilities. Though we don't have much to offer apart from the research opportunities, I am sure that Victoria University of Wellington will be a proud partner in the quest to improve the health of the people in the Pacific region, in particular reducing maternal and child mortality rates in Kiribati. Kiribati has the second highest maternal mortality rate in the Pacific, with 92 deaths in 100,000 live births, and its child mortality rates are also 10 times higher than New Zealand's. The island nation also has the highest under-5 or infant mortality rate in the Pacific, with around 50 deaths per 1,000 live births, which again is also almost 10 times out there rose rates. These large differences in statistics clearly shows that there is a lot to offer between our two organizations. And the opportunities exist to learn from each other, through research, through training, and sharing of good practices. The ultimate outcome of this partnership is to improve the health and livelihood of the people of Kiribati. The Dean of Victoria University of Wellington's Faculty of Graduate Research, Neil Dodson, says the partnership is initially for five years, with the option to extend. We're expecting that our collaboration with Kiribati will lead to tangible benefits for the university. There are research problems that we can address and that will allow us to work together. And there are the possibility that we will be able to uh, teach and train our Kiribati students, which benefits both the university and the republic. There are two main parts to the project, teaching and research. Professor Dodson says they want the partnership to lead to practical outcomes for both parties involved. He says Minister Sintiang has identified a source of funding to allow them to do a collaborative education project which will be in midwifery and nursing practice. The issue for Kiribati is they have quite high maternal mortality and infant mortality and it's very tricky to get training sorted out when you're a nation of 32 atolls scattered across 3 million kilometres of ocean. So there are questions of how can we help leverage what they've already got, how can we use our existing expertise to help them. The research component of the collaboration is expected to allow Kiribati students opportunities to apply for Victoria University's Pacifica scholarships to carry out higher studies before returning to their country and contributing to their community. We've come together as representatives of two Pacific nations, Aotearoa and Kiribati, to celebrate our intention to contribute to work in collaboration, to have tangible practical outcomes and with the plans that will provide better future for both our peoples. Wateria Community Polytechnics educator and Kiribati born Teramira Schutz has welcomed the partnership. 
Dr. Schutz, who has spent the past three decades in the health sector in Kiribati and New Zealand, says it is a great opportunity for her people. She says the statistic highlights the scale of the health problem and such a collaboration is absolutely necessary. But she says it is important to train local nurses on the islands so that they do not lose them through labor schemes overseas. So in-country training will be, to me, will be the, the best option for our nurses because that's where they're going to practice, that's where they're going to look after their, their actual um, service they're going to provide to our actual people. Um, it's really good to have the, this um, collaboration because we we want our nurses to be upgraded we want our nurses to know how to use you know the new technology and 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 to practice best practice that are evidence-based the nrl season is fast approaching but this weekend is less about the clubs and more about the players heritage and culture the nrl all-stars games will be played in new zealand for the first time on saturday christina persico reports Rugby League and the celebration of Indigenous culture are colliding in Rotorua for the NRL All-Stars event. The event sees Māori sides, both men and women, take on their Australian Indigenous counterparts. NRL.com attended the Day 1 Pōwhiri and opening. Club loyalties are put aside as the players return to their heritage. In 2022, the men's Māori All-Stars won the round 16-10 in a very wet Sydney, and the year before was a 10-all draw. On the women's side, the Indigenous team won last year's clash, and the Māori romped home the year before. Warriors legend Clinton Torpy, a former captain of the Māori All-Stars, says fans can expect to see NRL and NRLW players coming to Rotorua to represent their cultures. This will mean the world to the Māori community. This is a big deal. This is an honour to host at home. And it's going to be an excitement machine that we've never experienced before. So it's really going to be good. It's going to be good for the game. It's going to be good for the community. And the thing is about rugby league is not just for league enthusiasts. This is for everybody and anybody. There will also be a touch tournament as part of the weekend and cultural workshops. Before kick-off, the teams perform a haka and an Indigenous war cry. Ryan James, who will represent the Indigenous league team, told NRL.com he was a kid when the concept first started. Being able to see the All-Stars concept uh, grow from what it was, uh, from a small idea from Preston Campbell to here we are in beautiful New Zealand to see their beautiful culture and see how entrenched they are in their culture. And it's something that um, you know Indigenous Australia can strive to be. It was extremely humbling to watch you know, what they did today and watch all the kids, all the women, all the men just be one and uh, just be so proud of their culture. And um, if we can work our way to that in Australia, I'll be very proud. Coach of the Māori side, Ben Gardner, says there are varying levels of cultural connection within the team. Our, our boys who are Kiwis, um, you know, they're very used to it uh, and it's part of their culture, but we've got boys that have got different levels of attachment to their culture in the group and, you know, some of the guys have had uh, a lot of attachment to their Māori culture growing up, so it's coming back home and getting, you know, getting back into what they're used to and some of the boys haven't had a lot of attachment to it, so uh, there's a lot of learning and building knowledge and learning, you know, particularly about themselves and who they are, so the vibe's awesome. The boys are happy, um, they're glad to be here. The games themselves are played on Saturday. The women kick off at 3.30pm local time and the men at 5.45pm.
Meanwhile, the NRL pre-season round is underway. The Warriors had a win over the West Tigers on Thursday, and tonight the Knights will face the Sharks and the Rabbitohs go head-to-head with the Sea Eagles. The remaining clubs have their pre-season games over the weekend. The NRL Premiership proper kicks off on March 2nd. That's specific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Look at me for more next week.